I'm Sherry Greco-Rikus, co-founder of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. Welcome to the Maximize Your Return on Life podcast. As an investment advisor, I guide clients to reflect upon their core values as they make major life decisions. I will be interviewing real people with real stories who have embraced this approach to achieve success. I hope their stories will inspire you to maximize your return on life. Well, welcome, Linda Harvey. I've known Linda for many, many years. Our kids kind of grew up together and we have a long past. But Linda has over 25 years of consulting and career advisory experience in private practice, as well as top tier MBA programs in Chicago, US and London. I love uh, what she calls herself a career strategist, and we're going to learn more about that. But she is the founder of Linda L. Harvey Coaching and Career Development. Her practice focuses on helping people navigate the world of work, whether it's their first professional job, which I know you're all going to be interested to hear about that, or if you want to re-enter the workforce or career advancement. Your career is an important component of maximizing your return on life because we all spend a lot of time working. But Linda is going to give us some great tips to help you guys maximize your return on your career. So this is a double today, not just maximizing your return on life, but maximizing the return of your career. So we're going to learn a little bit about Linda, her career path, how she started her business, what she does as a career strategist, how she helps guides her clients to find the best career path, tips for recent grads, tips for women who want to re-enter the workforce. And it may not only be women, it could be men as well. And then I always love to hear how my guests maximize their return on life. So I'm going to turn it over to Linda right now, just so she can tell you in her own words, a little bit about herself. Thanks, Sherry, so much for having me. Thank you to the entire team at RRCM for the opportunity to share with you some of my thoughts about maximizing your return on life and careers. Um, I think it's important to know that I am um, someone who believes very strongly in being interactive and being of service to other people. And maybe that comes through conversation, maybe that comes through action, maybe that comes through education of one form or another. So um, a little bit about me, I'm a mom, uh, married for 30 years to my husband, Mark, who works in finance as well. I have two children who are launching and adulting as we speak, both college graduates, one also currently in law school. You know, the path into my career came somewhat serendipitously. I was a psych major in my undergraduate degree. I had a first real job, quote unquote, um, in a summer after my freshman year of college, where I was working in human resources at Evanston Hospital in our community. It's a major academic medical center. Human resources, what did I know? I hadn't even declared a major yet in college. Um, so coming off of that experience, for those who may or may not know what human resources is supposed to be about, it's the human side of any enterprise. It's what do people do? How do they get into a particular organization? Um, some of it's recruiting, some of it's compensation and benefits, some of it is about career advancement. And for an impressionable 19-year-old, it was like, oh, it's not just about laying on the hands 
of medicine, but there's this whole other side to any business and a hospital or a health center is also a business. Um, and this is also coming from someone who was a doctor's kid. So um, all I knew was the idea of being of service by being a helper, laying on the hands and being in medicine. And then I had this opportunity in a human resources department to see an, a completely other side of what the world of work could be like if you weren't necessarily a doctor or a nurse or in medical professions laying on the hands. So uh, fast forward, I declared a psych major and my parents were like, yay, we're going to have a psychiatrist. And I was like, no, I'm not so interested in doing clinical work. Um, I really actually like the idea of what happens when people get together in the workplace and how do their temperaments and their interests and their skills and their aptitudes combine to create something of value, something of service. And what I took with me into kind of everything that I do, and it became a bit of a mantra, was how can I, without being someone who's clinically oriented, laying on the hands to help or heal somebody, how else could I use my talents and my skills to be of service? Um, so that led me to a, a variety of other um, educational opportunities and world of work opportunities that um, any impressionable person who's launching into their first full-time career, you can be buffeted around and you can go into something thinking you know what it's all about and then realize you don't know anything. Um, and sometimes it's super challenging to even just get started. Um, so uh, some of the things that happened after that summer experience working in human resources were related to a very unique opportunity that I had at the University of Chicago. And because of my undergraduate was in a small liberal arts college in Iowa called Grinnell College, um, there was a special program. And this was going back now quite a few years ago, um, but the principle is very much relevant and still the same. And that principle is, how do you take someone who maybe doesn't know anything about the world of work or what business is, who's coming from a dis different discipline, and how do you introduce them to what is a graduate business program, an MBA? So I had a unique opportunity to take a summer's worth of classes at the University of Chicago um, with another group, a cohort of about 24 other students also from liberal arts colleges that um, we were mentored and we were guided and we were um, thrown in with other MBA students. And this is in the time um, in the 80s where Wall Street and finance was happening all the time. Women were at a premium, meaning there weren't very many women getting graduate business degrees. Um, and it was a real learning experience. And if we were academically successful, uh, we were offered an opportunity to return and get our MBAs within five years of completing that summer experience. So I was fortunate enough to have that um, as a touchstone and as a framing for what I might do next. Again, a part of me was not interested in being a clinician. A part of me was interested in the world of work and getting this guidance a little bit into what does the world of work potentially look like um, was a really good um, foundational and touchstone and and really important part of my of, of my launching um, and moving forward. No, it's just uh, very interesting because a lot of people we talk to do major in liberal arts and they're like, what do I do next? 
Yeah. And, you know, you said you majored in psychology. I've known Linda a long time. She's kind of the go-to person. When people uh, in Evanston have questions, they want to know, you know, where to go for dinner, where to go somewhere. Linda's always the source. So it would make sense. And I I think that kind of leads into how you decided to start your own business. Yes. Yes. And I think that's true. I think in some of the experiences that I have had, I'm pretty... um, clear. I, I'm, I'm free with giving my advice. And I'm also often sought out for that advice. And that happened to me professionally, where young people were finding me to say, um, you're a product of our program. And um, you're doing the work that you're doing, but you have a sense of where do people go after getting an MBA, particularly if they're early in their career. These are the things that I'm good at, where do you think I might want to go? And it evolved for me, out of being just directive, but into what is what what is somebody who's at a crossroads looking for? They're looking for someone to push their thinking. And so a big piece of what I do as a career coach and a career strategist is first and foremost, yeah, you have to listen. You have to listen acutely and um, stringently um, so that you know what is the person's thoughts versus what are your own thoughts. And then you ask a lot of questions. And in the process of asking those questions, the client feels not only heard, but also validated. And you reflect back to them a lot of what's really their own data, their own choices. And so it becomes less about telling somebody what to do and how to do it, and more about reflecting back to them what's important, what's of value to them. And then you can follow up with an educational component that says, okay, so here are tips and tricks and tactics for how does one launch a job search in the area that you want to go into. Um, And so a part of my practice and launching my business is doing both of those things. Part of it is advice giving and seeking and reflecting. And part of it is also tactical and strategic. So a lot of them are getting their MBA and there's career centers and there's places Mm -hmm. that they can use. So how do you fit in when they're trying to look for a job? Sure. So a couple of different things. So I have had contracts over the years with both University of Chicago and with Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management. And I do that as an independent contractor versus being on staff. Both organizations have coaches on staff that meet with students regularly to kind of push their thinking, but it comes within the context of their programming. And most of those, and these apply to any top business school or even at the undergraduate level, um, you get what you put into it. If you're someone who likes to go and talk with someone to reflect back or push your thinking, you're gonna access those resources on campus. So many people don't do that when they're in the midst of their academic uh, experience, their academic course of study. And then they graduate because they've been focused maybe primarily on academics or on community. And the idea of what do I do next after I graduate doesn't really hit them until graduation weekend. And then they're moving out and they're moving back home and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And it's like, oh, I missed the boat on using those resources when I was on campus. And that's often where I get the calls um, where someone has uh, finished a course of study and they're trying to figure out what's next and they haven't locked anything in by the time that they graduate. And so I get the call and that creates a, a whole industry that people can can participate in. Yeah. I mean, I know I have some nephews in school and 
just getting through college is usually the first point. And I find that the schools that have business majors, they're very pre-professional. They've got the, the people coming, the firms are coming, but you know, when people major in econ or more liberal arts, it's a little more challenging to find a job and the, the world is out there. There's so many possibilities. So I think that's where you come in and really help them. And I just have a question because I get a lot of this with clients. You know, you mentioned that you got your MBA pretty much right after school. Are you seeing more people getting work experience before they're getting the MBAs or what do you see happening out there? Yeah, even at the time that I got my MBA, the the program that I was in, you had to go and work for a minimum of one year mm-hmm. uh, before returning. And I ended up working for two, two and a half before returning. And that was still skewing young. But yes, in order to have, I think, a fuller experience at the graduate business level, having a couple of years of work experience where you have a context from your firm, whatever it is, or a context, even if you were an entrepreneur doing something completely different than being a business person before you went to graduate business program, that's important. It's just a a different set of time management skills. It's a different set of interactive, interpersonal skills that one uses in the world of work than what you do when you're in an academic environment. And that experience base can inform you really, really well. What I'm seeing is that a lot of the top tier MBA programs have special programs not unlike the one that I participated in over 30 years ago, different variations on a theme. There seems to be a big push for an accelerated MBA program. So a lot of people are getting certificates of one form or another. Maybe it's a nine month, 10 month, one year program that's being offered. And those are good. They're an orientation, but they're not the same thing as building knowledge and network over a two-year program or longer if you go Mm part-time as opposed to full-time. And that knowledge and network and that repeat interactive nature of a graduate program and a graduate business program at that, they're just different. Okay, great. Yeah, because we get a lot of questions and and there's some industries, you know, you don't really even need an MBA and there's some that... If you really want to get a management, it depends what you want to do. You and I talked a little bit before, and it seems that a lot of times people are influenced by family. You know, you like you said, you're in a family of doctors or a family of accountants, or someone wants their child to go into the family business. So can you kind of walk us through when you meet with a young adult who just graduated and they're being pressured, you know, maybe externally to go into some line of work, you know, when they're 19 years old, they picked a major, they have no idea if that's what they want to do. So how do you work with them? And if you can give us an example or two, that would be great. Sure. So again, a lot of what I do is ask questions. So sometimes I might put a new client through an exercise that I designed specifically for them where I have them look at what are the things that I'm good at doing? What are the things that I'm good at doing that I enjoy doing? And what are the things that I'm good at doing, but I don't enjoy? And sometimes what gets uncovered is that because of that familial um, context and pressure or or, or tradition uh, or some sense of obligation, oftentimes young people can be actually very good at the things that their families have imprinted upon them but they don't enjoy it at all. And they have a choice point. They have a sense of, yeah, I can do all of those things, but I'm not fulfilled. And I subscribe to a very pragmatic approach 
which is it's great to want to pursue your passions, but your passions also have to keep the lights on. Your passions also have to um, afford you the lifestyle, either one to which you are most familiar or one to which you aspire. And if you don't um, think critically and evaluate critically about whether or not your passions align with that, you are setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment because a lot of the world of work is not grounded in passions. A lot of the world of work, that's why it's called work and not play. Um, and so I use some of that framing with my young people because they need to hear it in that kind of straightforward but very clear way. And it's not coming from mom or dad or grandma, grandpa or auntie or uncle or what have you. And it comes from a third party that has a different sound. They hear it very differently. Mom and dad and their family could be saying very similar things, but they hear it very differently when it comes from a third party. And I, there's a lot of angst sometimes, you know, the the young adult is in their senior year or they graduate and don't have a job. And, it, you know, these parents get angst, obviously, because they don't want to be supporting their children forever. But I love what you say about passion, because you know, you can work and find your passion through charity work, through your community. You can kind of find your passion. But as you know, I'm a big budgeter and yeah. we need to turn on the lights. And I'm sure people, you know, young adults want to travel. They want to go out to dinner. So you have to figure out kind of your lifestyle. And I think you and I have talked about this. It's really what's your values? What's most important to you? Do you want a job where you have flexibility? Do you want a job where you work from home, a hybrid job, working in the office? And so I was wondering, do you sometimes have clients that call you a year or two after and say, you know, I thought I really wanted to do this. Now I'm lost. Linda, help me again. Yeah. I wish I did have a lot of repeat clients. Many of them, I think, feel equipped to start doing the, this for themselves. And that in a sense is a testament to how impactful the work that I do with somebody is, mm -hmm. because I do view a piece of it is education. If I give mm -hmm. them a set of tools or a set of exercises that they can replicate for themselves and they don't need to consult with me. In fact, I've done something very well because I've equipped them with a way for them to strategize on their own. Do I get people that come back at key points? Yes. Um, and it's a touchstone for them. I, I, I like to tell the joke that uh, my family members, most specifically my partner in life and crime, my husband, is my most frequent, least compliant career <laughs> career uh, client. Um, we've been together 30 years and he's had many, many career transitions, uh, varying degrees of intensity in terms of where do I go from here and how do I parlay this? Um, and yet at the same time, um, we have a very good life together. So uh, something's working really well and our, our values are definitely aligning. Um, um, in order to give us the life that we want to live. And I think that's what you mentioned just a few moments ago, is that you're an independent person. Mm -hmm. And often there's emotions and a parent, the way they say it, may be leading a child to a direction, or you may be leading your husband to a direction right. because you're emotionally tied to him. Um, right. And having a fresh set of eyes and an independent party, I think is is very valuable. And we're going to put um, on our website how to get in touch with Linda, because this is probably every time I talk to clients, this is probably the biggest challenge is launching some of these adults. And that really, let's go into some tips for, I say, recent grads or 
young adults that are going to be graduating shortly? What are some tips for them that can help them on this career? Sure. So sure. I think one key piece is for those that are still on campus is um, make time to evaluate and identify what are the resources that are available to you on campus. That doesn't mean you have to go in all in and add it as if it were your you know 20th hour of academic work, although I don't I don't not recommend that. I think that that's one of the virtues of being on a campus program is that a lot of the resources that are available to you, you should bake that in and make time for. But it's also worth knowing and identifying so that upon graduation, you know what's available to you as an alum. And most organizations, most academic institutions have that available to them. So make time for that. Also, do some of the internal work to clarify what is it that you're asking somebody to do for you, whether it's in an informational interview or whether it's in the job search to network and connect you to somebody else, the more clear, concise, and succinct you can be in your ask, um, it allows people to help you. They want to help you, but you have to help them to help you. Mm -hmm. And if you go in way too open and just saying, hey, I just need a job. Can you hook me up with somebody? Great. They don't know what to do with that. You have to do the homework, do the preparation to connect the dots for them to the best that you are able. Another tidbit is often people think that I don't know anybody in that field. I don't know anybody who knows anybody in that field. So I'm on my own and I can't do anything about that. That's not reality-based thinking. More often than not, frankly, it's not your first order of networks that actually connect you with opportunities. Often it's two or three degrees of separation. There was that film and that play years ago about six degrees of separation, and then it became the cultural meme, six degrees right. of Kevin Bacon, right? Um, I use Kevin Bacon, but the the this generation behind us, Sherry, doesn't know Kevin Bacon yeah, the right, same right, way right, right, right. our generation does. But in any Maybe case- Maybe Taylor Swift or something. Something like that. Something <laughs> yeah. like that could very well work. Um, and, and I think that that's something that people are afraid to ask, certainly as they're initially launching. They want to do it themselves. They want to believe that the process of launching in a career is about meritocracy and meritocracy only. If my stats and my, my skills and the way I write my resume, the way I write my cover letter should be enough to persuade somebody to talk with me, that's not reality-based thinking. Nine times out of 10, it is you need to have that interpersonal touch. You need to have someone who's willing to just deliver your details to a hiring manager and say, this is someone who was in my fraternity or sorority. Um, and I looked at them and I think they're good. Take a look. It's not that you're asking that person to give you the opportunity on a silver platter. You're asking them to endorse in a way. And that gets you seen, moves you to the top of the list. Um, and I think that that's something that there's a big mismatch when people are launching from an academic program into the world of work. And there's all this stuff in human resources, human resource information systems, HRIS systems, automated applicant tracking systems, artificial intelligence. And so the, the student, the person looking for the opportunity is putting their heart and soul on the page and they're expecting it to be read by an individual. And again, nine times out of 10, it's not. It's being activated and processed in a very impersonal way. And so you have to do 
the networking. You have to do the the uncovering of a connection that's going to bring it to the top of the list, that's going to get it eyeballed by real eyeballs and not automated ones. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge aha for young people and for their families when they launch from an academic program. They're like, wait, what do you mean it's not being seen by a person? It's not. And I often get, you know, some, everyone wants to do it themselves. And the young mm -hmm. adults are like, I don't need the help. I'm going to do it myself. But I yep. always say, I get a lot of people calling me for informational interviews. I will introduce them to a job that they're looking for, but they still have to prove themselves. Correct. They still have to get the job. They just, just using the resources of family and friends just gets them to the next level. And um, while I have you, because I interview a lot of young adults that are graduating or just graduated, no matter what the interview is, dress for that interview, um, make sure you have a nice outfit on or shirt or dress or something that looks like this is important to me. Be on time, research the company. They're always gonna ask you if you have any questions. Sometimes they just say, no, I don't. Find a question, find something, and always send a thank you note. Um, you'd be surprised. And I sometimes I'll get an email and a handwritten note. That ha You want to differentiate yourself, and that handwritten note is so important. So I think That's what true. you said up front was do your homework. And we recently went down to U of I, and we had like the, a career center. And, you know, I think you have to take advantage of these because you can meet a lot of different firms. And by giving the resume to the firm when you meet them, they get on the top of the pile because we do get hundreds and hundreds of resumes. But the ones that we met at the career night at U of I definitely were the first round of interviews. So um, that's my tip for the college, uh, recent grads or, or new grads. The same way when applying to colleges and um, even on the social networks, you want to demonstrate interest that same idea of demonstrating interest with a follow-up um, applies to the job search as well. And this is such great information, Linda, but I will, we're going to go into re-entry in a moment, but I give some talks for financial basics for young adults. And sometimes I say, just take that first job. I know everyone wants the dream job, but based on the economy, based on the industry, it may not always be available, but just get into the ground floor. Most most young adults are at their jobs, you know, one to three years, but you're going to learn how to be on time, how to work with a boss, how to get skills, and at least you'll know what you like or don't like. So instead of waiting and waiting after a while, if you don't find your dream job, just take your job so you can pay your bills and move forward. I don't know if you agree with that advice, but I agree 150% with that. And that ties into the, if you're looking for the perfect job or you're looking to find your passion in that first job, that's just not reality-based thinking. And I think that there is a lot, look, the average person in the developed world, you, the United States, Canada, Western Europe will have 10 to 12 professional transitions in their lifetime. Yeah. Didn't used to be that right. way. 
um, two generations ago, it's not even our generation, but our grandparents' generation, they'd find the the path, whether they wanted it or not, and they were there for 30 years. Right. In the Gen X world, um, in that generation, we'd have half as many, right, five, right. six, seven tra- professional transitions. In the next, the generation is behind us, the young people of today, it's 10 or 12, and they may have several career pivots within that time frame. So just get started doing something so that you can t- continue to refine what it is that you know how to do, what it is that you know how to do well, what it is that you like doing. Mm -hmm. And then you can parlay all of that into the next transition. No harm, no foul. If you make a transition, it's just get started. Yeah. You're going to work 40 years. If you have a first couple of years, don't worry about it. So now I want to shift gears because I do get this a lot with some clients, especially women, but men as well. They've taken some time off either because of family situations, kids, and, and a lot of us are have elderly parents. We're taking time off to work, help them. So how do you get back into the workforce if you've been out for five or 10 or 15 years? Sure. I like to tell people that they have to not look at that break from the world of work that's paid outside of home and family as if it were a stop on your life or a stop of your learning. In fact, there were a lot of things that you were doing that relate to the world of work. Maybe they're related to organization, time management, advocacy, budgeting, financial literacy, healthcare of one form or another, education of one form or another. So if they take a critical lens to how have they been spending their time, unless they've just been online playing computer games or chilling in Netflix for 10 or 15 years and eating bonbons, which most people who have that situation, that's not what they're spending their time doing, then you have to really look at it from the lens of what do I now know how to do on the basis of what I've been doing? And with a level of clarity, brevity, and confidence. And this is what I find really is a big piece of the re-entry puzzle is helping people reclaim that confidence that the stop from paid work was not wasted time, that that stoppage had value and you're there to articulate and advocate for what that value was and parlay those skills, what you now know, into the next opportunity. Oftentimes I work with re-entry folks and they knew nothing about, let's call it healthcare. Um, and by serving as an advocate for an elderly parent, as they transitioned from one place to another, it informed their worldview into, you know what, I actually have an aptitude for what does it mean to be a healthcare advocate? And maybe there's an opportunity for me to work with the elderly in a paid capacity of one form or another. And that creates an opportunity and an avenue, or maybe it's education or what have you. So I think that there's there's a confidence set with reentry. There is also don't diminish and don't minimize that you took the time to do that because the 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 care of family or whatever that break was necessitated. Sometimes a break comes because you were laid off and you couldn't pivot and other demands within your values required you to stay outside of the paid workforce. So let's look at that and let's let's make sense of it in the same way that a minute ago we were talking about for young people coming off of a, of a academic program. You have to help people to help you. Same, same principle applies with reentry. You have to do some of that work to articulate and make sense of what you've been doing 
so that you have a, a through thread and a thesis line and you can present that and you can evolve it. It's not that that's the only answer. When you start talking to people about what you want to do next and what opportunities might be there, you can get you can adopt. Somebody says to you, you know, what I'm seeing in the work that you've been doing in caring for your family is I see that you now have this set of skills. How about if you were to frame it a different way? How about if you were to put it out to the marketplace as this is what I now know how to do? Yeah, and I have a lot of clients, you know, they were raising kids. They were very active in charitable endeavors, whether it's a PTA or a nonprofit. And all of a sudden, their youngest goes to college and they're saying, you know, I'm in a transition now. I need to find my next chapter while they find theirs. And so I know, you know, you can, sounds like you could be very helpful with those individuals trying to find their next chapter. I will add one thing because we have hired some reentry professionals, but one thing I would advise is getting up to date with computer skills and things like that. So even if it's taking the time to get certified in Excel or PowerPoint, there's a lot of classes out there. And I think that will definitely differentiate you because you don't want to spend your time trying to learn that when you're going to a new job. But you're so right. So many of the skills are transferable. And especially in the career you have before, a lot of that is transferable. So I think we went through a lot of stuff here, Linda, from grads to people that want to reenter the, the workforce. But I think some of the key takeaways is you know, you really need to look at your values and look what's important to you. Obviously, you need to pay the bills and the budget, but somehow if you could combine your passions, your values, and the monetary reward, I think you're going to have a great career. But also, if things aren't working, move on. Look for something else. Look for a transition and talk to someone like Linda because... Again, you could talk to your friends or your family, but often they're not going to be honest with you. I have a feeling knowing Linda, she'll be very upfront <laughs> and very honest. And sometimes that's what we need when we're making changes. So um, I ask everyone on this podcast, how do you maximize your return on life, Linda? So I'm fortunate enough that I have Sherry and her team to help me with the financial Thank aspects okay. to enable me to do the work that I do do. Um, I think one of my key things is something that I learned a long time ago, and it uh, originates from this concept of flow in the workplace. Um, you know when you're in flow, when you're feeling like everything's firing and you are focused and you are clear and you are energized by the work that you do. So I look for opportunities where I can be in flow. For me personally, a big piece of that is when I can interact with other people, um, collaborate with them effectively, and to do something that pushes them, their thinking, a project in some way, shape, or form, to be in a sense of service. Um, and that, I think, for me, goes back to my imprinted values, which were clinically oriented, and I've morphed them into my own to be, how can I be of service? How can I help other people without being a clinician per se? Um, so I look for those opportunities where I can be in relationship, where I can be of service, where I can make something progress, move forward um, in a meaningful way. And um, so that I look for that. And I look for that in the way I keep my house, that's maximizing my return on life. I look for that for learning opportunities. I look for that in terms of travel and culture and where I spend my free time in terms of being of service to organizations that are important to me, people that are important to me, et cetera. 
So, you know, that's how you maximize your return on life and your values. And I'm just going for full circle here. You know, you said you grew up with family of doctors and I did know your dad and he, even though you weren't an MD, he was so proud of you, Linda. He used to beam <laughs> and talk about you and your MBA and what you're doing professionally. So, you know, I just, for our listeners, you know, if you follow your passions and your values, things will work out. And there's always going to be, you know, someone talking in the left ear, you know, being a doctor, being a lawyer, but there's more than the world to that. I uh, started as a CPA. Now I'm a financial advisor. I knew I wanted to work with people and numbers and being a CPA was great, but I wanted to really like, like you said, help people. And I've seen clients start, you know, when they were 26 and now I've seen when they're getting close to retirement. So it's a lot of satisfaction. I think we have a lot of that in common. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you, Linda. It's so fun to dig deeper. Uh, Linda was in the office about a month ago and we were just talking and she gave me her card because like I said, you know, this is, this is something that comes up very often. Um, you know, we're midway through uh, a lot of the seniors are starting to look for jobs, but it's a tough market right now. I'm hearing consulting firms, you know, there's a lot of unknowns. So just keep your head high. And if it's not the perfect job, take it. If you want to reenter, talk to Linda. I think she could add, a, I know she can add a lot of value, <laughs> but if you'd like to maximize your return on life, please visit our website at rrcapital.com. That's Rappaport Rikus Management, rrcapital.com. And we can help you to maximize your return on life. I'll be leaving Linda's information on our website. Our website is MaximizeYourReturnOnLife.com. has all of our podcasts. But thanks again, Linda. It was really fun uh, to not just talk about the kids, the weather, Evanston, where we're going for dinner, but to really dig deep on what you're doing Absolutely. and how you're helping people. And I know my listeners will get a lot of value from that. So thanks. Thank you so much for having me.